We are studying on Sunday evenings the pastoral epistles, and we're finishing those up, actually. We're in Titus, the little letter to Titus, in the final of the three pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul. And he wrote these letters for the sake of informing young pastors whom he had left uh, at various locations, Ephesus and Crete, um, on what the church was to be and setting things in order in the local churches. And in this particular case, Titus has been left on a little tiny island of Crete, and he is to go from town to town there and establish leadership within those local churches and to inform the believers of what is expected by their Savior um, through the apostolic word and also to defend the gospel. And they are under attack. The gospel is under attack. It has been from um, day one and no different here in Crete, no different here for us as we continue to uphold sound doctrine. That is the teaching of God's word for the sake of understanding um, our Savior and knowing Him. And so Paul is addressing these issues, and really it has been so long. Uh, I think it's been November since we have been in Titus, so you are probably as rusty as I have been with Titus. So let me draw you back. We're going to begin uh, studying chapter 2 tonight, but let me take you back and let's look just briefly at chapter 1 by way of review, and then we'll, we'll kind of dive into our time of study this evening. Paul begins this letter with uh, really a theological greeting. And we studied verses 1 through 4 together and took time to have a little bit of detail there. Because Paul is so concerned right from the very beginning that he sets doctrine forward, um, sound theology forward before the people, um, and in particular before Titus, the leader, there on the island of Crete. Uh, he moved from that introduction to speak about the eldership that he needed to have established at Crete. Um, Titus had a rather substantial job ahead of him. Uh, Paul says in verse 5, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on to outline the qualifications for those elders, those pastors, that would give oversight to the churches. And that list is a complementary list to 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul did this with Timothy at Ephesus. Same, same theme, same issue, only a different location. And a little bit of a different list. He capped that list with verse 9, which was critical. And I believe uh, David took time to study verse 9 with you uh, in detail. The elders must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And there's a threefold description here of the eldership, the biblical eldership of the local church. They must be able to grasp the trustworthy word. As taught, that is, as taught by the apostles. So he must be able to grasp it, hold firm to it, believe it. He must be able to teach it, give instruction in sound doctrine is the second component. And then he must be able to defend it. He needs to rebuke those who oppose it. And so in order to do that, in order to confront false teaching, there must be a grasp of the truth that is, that is right there at the elder's disposal. I was talking with a, a pastor friend over the Christmas break, and it was interesting the way he described... Um, eldership and qualification for eldership with Titus 1 9 in mind. He said, There are not many men that we can just give the Bible to them and say, Here, take this and utilize it for God's people. And that's really what's spoken of in verse 9 as the qualification for the eldership. Now, Paul moves from that to verse 10 down through verse 16 and dealing with the opposite of a biblical eldership, that is, the false teachers who had infiltrated the church and the characteristics that they put on display really in contrast to what he desired for the churches to mirror. 
So in verse 10, he talks about the insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision party. These are Judaizers who had come into the church who were attempting to draw away the followers of Christ to a modified form of Judaism. And so they must become Jews and place their faith in Christ to be truly a part of the kingdom. And Paul is very strong in his rebuke. He commends Titus in verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And so he says, basically, give them a clear dose, a very strong dose of truth so that if they are, in fact, believers, they might come to a sound understanding of the faith. Okay, so that's the description that wraps up chapter one and brings us to chapter two. And the first word of chapter two sets a contrast for us in the context. And the word is but but as for you. And now Paul is going to turn his attention from the false teachers back to Titus and back to the church uh, as represented in those local congregations on the island of Crete. Okay, so that's where we'll be for our study time this evening. Let's read uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 together. You can follow along as I read out loud. And uh, let's read these to set the table. We're going to study verses 1 through 5 for the remainder of our time. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness or in patience, endurance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may be may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. No glue for accusations to stick to. Slaves, verse 9, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. That, uh, in everything, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, stealing, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Okay? So here we find in, in this context, and really uh, this is a tight context in chapter 2, and I don't think it's going to be a hard one to follow, we find Paul contrasting what we saw of the character traits and the qualities, the internal qualities of the false teachers and those who were being led astray by them. We see the contrast now with God's people, and Titus is to remind, he is to talk to God's people in the churches at Crete about their lifestyle. I want to point out just before we jump into our time, there's just a little detail that's important. In verse 1 of chapter 2, um, it says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, the word that's used for teach there is not the same word that is normally used for teaching. And this is because Paul uses a lighter idea here. It almost has the, the connotation of just speak to God's people about this. Remind them, as opposed to rebuke them sharply, which he told Titus to do to those who were false teachers and those who were being led astray. So Paul now encourages Titus to discuss some issues, some very clear issues with the believers there at Crete. Some things in life uh, just naturally go together. I mean, they are just uh, 
They are one and the same. You would always assume to have the other when one is present. I was trying to think of different issues like this, and I couldn't get off of the food track. Um, Meat and potatoes, turkey and stuffing, right? I mean, those things should not be divided. You should not... um, should not have a meal with meat and no potatoes. Um, New Year's Day and football. Okay, those two things should never be divided. Uh, football should be a part of New Year's Day. That is, that is clearly informed in our New Testaments. Okay. Cozy fires, good books. If you're from a Sicilian background, as I am, uh, salami and provolone. Uh, these two things should always be put together with a good brown mustard on a hard roll. Okay. Salami and provolone, chips and dip, pasta and sauce, and bread with all things. The idea here that I want to get across, and you're not, you're not foolish, you don't misunderstand where we're going. There are, certain, there are certain things that are directly connected to each other. And what Paul's going to do here in the next several verses, in verses 1 through 10, is he is going to remind the believers through Titus's ministry, he's going to bel- remind the believers that doctrine and lifestyle go hand in hand. Okay? Doctrine, that is theology, what we believe and how we live are as connected as meat and potatoes, as salami and provolone. You can't have one without the other without destroying the one. And so Paul is going to remind these believers through Titus's ministries, commending Titus to teach them what accords with sound doctrine? We don't use the word accords very much. Um, none of you uh, ladies who are, are handy in the kitchen have asked your husband, what accords with roast beef? Uh, that's not something you use. But the idea is what matches, what goes along with, what proceeds from. And that's exactly what Paul's emphasis will be in these next several verses as he goes through specific people groups in the church. I mean, this is a little bit uncomfortable how personal he gets with people groups. And, and I know that all of you are going to have to put yourself in one of these people groups. And that may be uncomfortable for you as well. I won't tell you age, age designations for each of these categories. But Paul's going to go specifically with categories within the church and say, sound doctrine has an according lifestyle. It has a matching way of living. There are internal realities. There are character traits that flow directly from theology. And the misconception of our day is that doctrine is stale, doctrine is boring, doctrine is not relevant. What we need is practical preaching. What we need is practical instruction. I want to know uh, what to do and how to live. Just bring it down where we live. Talk, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about family. Let's talk about finances. Let's bring it down. We don't need doctrine. We just need to talk about practical issues. Those are the trends today. What we find here in the second chapter of Titus is that Paul says we can't be more practical than to get down to doctrine and to discuss sound doctrine matching sound living faith and practice. Okay, this is clearly the context that Paul is driving forward in verses one through ten of chapter two. Life for the believer is assumed to be live out, lived out within the fellowship of the local church. Okay, that's the assumption of Titus 2. Uh, we're talking about the local assembly here and the relationships that exist within it. So what does good theology look like in the church? Or to say it another way, what does good theology live like within the church? And I think that's what we'll find in this practical 
section of Titus chapter 2. All right, we're going to just divide this up exactly how it's divided in your text. We're only going to handle the first five verses this evening. And we're going to look at this with three major headings. Sound doctrine and older men. You know who you are out there, okay? Sound doctrine and older men. Sound doctrine and older women. Even more careful, you know who you are out there. Say that with more fear. Um, Sound doctrine and older women. And uh, I'm trying to look above you. I'm not even looking at anybody. See? No eye contact whatsoever. Older women, wherever you are out there. All right. And then thirdly, we'll look at sound doctrine and younger women. Okay? Those are our three categories. And those are the only three that we're going to deal with this evening. David will pick up next week and we'll continue on looking at young men and then looking at slaves within um, this Greco-Roman culture. Okay? Titus chapter 2. And beginning in verse 2, let's look at sound doctrine and older men. What do older men live like who are consumed by the faith, by sound doctrine, by the truth, the apostolic word, the gospel as revealed in your scriptures? What does it look like? What is the lifestyle? What is the character traits that define the older man of the local church? Okay, let's look at these descriptions. And these are familiar to us and That's dangerous because we can breeze right through them. They're also listed for us, which is a double danger because lists are difficult to stay focused on. Is it only me or is it about 102 degrees in here right now? Anybody else cooking hot? Yes. Uh, Marty, can can we open up some doors? Okay. All right. Let's just keep going. Marty will open the doors. Nothing to see here, folks. You can just uh, ignore him. I'm sure he's loving this. Um, yeah, all you front rowers, you're about to freeze your guys off. Uh, sorry about that. But we'll get some air in here, okay? Older men, here's your description. Verse number two. Older men are to be, number one, sober-minded, then dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And we have really two groupings of three in verse two, all right? We find the first three, sober-minded, dignified, and self-controlled. And then we find the last three, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness, or potentially faith, love, and hope. That'll be enough, Marty. That one door is going to be plenty. Thank you for that. Okay, let's look first then and just describe these for you. Sober-minded does not have to do with alcohol. It does not have to do with a lack of alcohol and being sober, as we talk about in our vernacular today. Sober-minded deals with a temperate and serious mindset. It deals with a, 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 an awareness of the sobriety of life in thinking. Sometimes the best way to understand these is to look at the opposite because it helps paint a good picture for us. The opposite of sober-minded is frivolous. It's silliness. It's a lack of seriousness. So the older men who are understanding the gospel, who are living lives that match sound doctrine, are marked out because they are sober-minded. They're temperate. They are serious men. That doesn't mean they don't laugh. It doesn't mean they don't joke. It doesn't mean they don't um, have a good time. It just simply means that their mindset as a lifestyle is a sober one. It's a serious one. Okay? Pretty clear, pretty straightforward. We've dealt with this on a number of occasions. The second description is dignified. They are worthy of respect. Their lifestyle is worthy of respect. There is not a lifestyle within them that would pull away from their age. 
that would somehow fly in the face of the respect that naturally would come to them within the culture. So these are men who are serious about life because they are aware of the truths of Scripture. They are aware of the truths of this life and this existence that we all share together. And they are dignified. They live in such a manner that would gain respect. That's a life that matches sound doctrine. And I'm so grateful that this is a lifestyle that really marks many of you older men here this evening. Because the gospel is to be lived out. It is faith that results in practice. A sober-minded approach that is dignified in its activities and in its attitudes is thirdly defined here as self-controlled. And this is Paul's, one of Paul's favorite descriptions in this letter to Titus. Self-controlled. Probably the more familiar word is disciplined. All right? Disciplined. Disciplined in the mind and disciplined in the body for the sake of godliness. Not a military form of discipline. Strictly physical discipline. But a spiritual discipline. That sets apart these older men as those who are seasoned in the gospel. They're serious. They're dignified. And they are controlled. Their lifestyle is, is guardrailed. It is, it is led, a, led along by the sound doctrine. They are not out just freelancing through life they are not skipping from one thing to the next they're not from fad to fad they're not blown about with every wind of doctrine they're stable they're steady and they're self-controlled their lifestyle has come into accord with sound doctrine so the first list of three character traits are no surprise to us they're very familiar in fact these are some of the very same character traits that are matched up for elders and that would make sense because some of the eldership would most certainly come from this group of older men within the church. Okay, the second group of three then. If we're to look at the second group of three. I want you to put these all in one category. In fact, it's even helpful in, the, in our translation to see the way that they have helped us connect the dots. Sound in faith, comma, in love, comma, and in steadfastness. These are just three clumped together characteristics, internal characteristics of the heartbeat of these older men who have lifestyles matching their doctrine. That is sound doctrine, truth of God's word. They are sound, and the concept of sound carries settled or matured. They are stable. They are not moving around. They are matured like a matured tree, and they are now sound. They are steadfast. Don't move. Now notice the descriptions that are given. They are sound, number one, in faith, number two, in love, and number three, in patience or endurance is really the word that we have translated steadfastness for us. In faith, they are, they are matured, they are settled, they are stabilized in their trust of God. This is not moving. It's not as if these older men within the church who have lifestyles that match sound doctrine are one week wondering if God exists and the next week trying to talk about how good he is. It's just not where they are. They are stable. They are sound in the faith. They understand who God is and they are settled in their trust of his will. They are also sound in love. They are committed and settled in serving others for the sake of Christ. They are giving themselves for the purpose of serving Christ. And finally, they are sound, they are mature, 
they are stabilized in endurance, in steadfastness, in stick as my mom would like to call it, patiently waiting for the promises of the gospel, expectantly waiting for the promises of the gospel. And I have been with some of you older men and been encouraged by the stability of your hope, of your steadfastness, of your endurance, because you are confident that what you believe about God is informed from his word. Therefore, it is sound doctrine. You're living lives of love and you are living lives of endurance, waiting patiently for the promises to be fulfilled in Christ. Okay, these older men are the bedrock of the local churches. These men bring stability, they bring sobriety, they bring a sense of weight. Gravitas is the Latin word. They bring a sense of of weight to the services, the gatherings of the local churches. Because they are the mature, spiritual men. They are leaders, matured and sound in the faith. Okay, now Titus was commended to encourage older men that this is what doctrine looks like. So whatever older man picture you've had in your mind, if it's been retirement, home, uh, if it has been uh, living on a yacht, if it has been whatever it has been, it has to fit into this category. Older Christian men are to be a part of the local church and they are to mirror these character traits if they are living lives in accord with sound doctrine. That's exactly what we have in Titus chapter 2 and verse 2. All right? The undeniable reality is that these older men who are doctrinally based, who are doctrinally informed, will be more ready to display these characteristics than those who are immature doctrinally because doctrine is the basis of this lifestyle, faith and practice. Okay? That is sound doctrine in older men. Let's move quickly then to number two, sound doctrine in older women. Paul goes on and moves to the next category of individuals within the local assembly. That is the older ladies. He's very much concerned about the older ladies. And this is a unique section because he gives unique responsibility to these older women within the church. You see, Paul is informing Titus of what he's to tell certain groups within the church but there's one group that's missing from titus's uh information that is the younger women titus is not told to inform the younger women he's told to inform the older women to inform the younger women probably because titus was single and so therefore it doesn't make sense that titus would gather together the younger women of the church and have a little night for coffee at his house okay that doesn't fit But the older women are given a very specific and unique responsibility, and this is a special section, very important to the body life of local assemblies. Okay, verse 3. Older women, likewise, that is in the same manner as the older men, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. All right, those are the character qualities that are outlined for these older women. And we'll continue on in just a moment as we see the impact of their teaching On the younger women, they are to set themselves apart as the older men are by their behavior, lifestyles, which accord with sound doctrine. Now, notice these descriptors, and I'm not sure what your translation has in verse three, but um, in the ESV, it has reverent in behavior. 
the emphasis here is, is on holiness. And this is very interesting. Older women are told to live like holy people. That's literally what it says. Live like priests or priestesses. Uh, the idea here is that older ladies are to be marked out the crowning jewel of their life within the local assembly, the crowning jewel of their existence as older women, as those who are up in years, late in life, beyond childbearing, beyond the, the homework of raising children. They are to be known as those who are reverent in behavior. That is holy. They are consumed with living lives of obedience. One commentator made reference to their awareness of God continually. You've met older ladies like this. You've met older women within the church like this that have blessed you, younger women especially, because they have been mindful of God. They've been mindful of His Word and they have lived lives that are reverent in behavior. This is living which accords with sound doctrine. There to be reverent in behavior, but notice then Paul lumps two descriptors, negative descriptions in this next part of verse number three. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. All right, slaves or addicted to wine. I'm not slanderers or addicted to much wine. Now, Paul is addressing what no doubt was a common association with older women at Crete. Okay, so here's the scoop. Older women on Crete. They were busybodies with their mouth, and they were thirsty with that mouth, all right? He's dealing with the common perception. And the local assembly, the body of believers, those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, they don't live like the common perception of their culture. They are to root out the lifestyle of backbiting and gossip and using their mouth for the passing of information which I think is not relegated to Crete. All right, I think this still carries on today. Older women are to resist this temptation to use their mouth for tearing down with slander, as well as a lifestyle of perpetual tipsiness, all right, which is also still a part of some of the characteristics of our culture and older women. They are not to be addicted to wine. They're not to be living with a a perpetual buzz, if you will, because of their drinking problem, secret as it may be, nor are they to be using their mouths for tearing down others. Now, notice Paul contrasts, he does two negatives about their mouth, and then he uses a contrast to show the positive. Older ladies who live lives that match up with sound doctrine do not use their mouth for tearing down others, and they do not abuse their mouth with addiction and slavery to alcohol. What they do use their mouth for is to teach. They teach. This is a lifestyle that accords with sound doctrine. The end of verse 3. They are to teach what is good. They're to teach what is good. Older ladies within the church. Who are grounded in the gospel. Are to teach. This is not a. Second category of people. This is not people gifted for teaching. This is not necessarily public teaching. This is a responsibility of all the believers within the church who fit into the category of older women. They are to be teachers. Teachers with their lifestyle, but teachers with their mouths. That's the contrast that Paul is presenting. Now, just because 
we want to be careful in our Bible study. Let's notice a couple things with this teaching command from the Apostle Paul. This does not contradict the clear situations of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 4 or 14 rather and verse 33 where women are commended to be silent within the public worship services and in 1 Timothy chapter 2 not to teach or exercise authority over men. And you say, well, obviously this is a contradiction. Paul must have forgotten what he wrote in 2 Timothy when he wrote Titus. I think it's the other way around. He would have forgotten what he wrote in Titus when he wrote 2 Timothy. And he must have forgotten what he wrote to the Corinthian church when he wrote this, because he clearly says women are to teach. Well, as always, as in those passages, the near context informs us of what he's talking about. Ladies are not to be silent within the church, as in, I hope you didn't greet anyone around you tonight silent. They're to be silent in the, uh, the examination of prophetic utterances in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So women are not to be challenging the teacher's that bring the word of God to God's people. That's just not supposed to happen. They should ask their own husbands at home and allow them to answer rather than challenge in the public service. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's not that women are not to teach at all. It's that they are not to teach and exercise authority over men. And so the public teaching in a venue of preaching or instruction for the body as a whole is relegated to men. This is not a contradiction here. Older ladies are to be teachers, and the near context controls that. They're to be teachers that train younger women, right? So we get to the next verse, and you find out exactly who they're teaching good things to. All right, so it's not a contradiction. It's always limited. Each of these commands is limited by its near context that helps control our understanding of these passages. Teaching younger women is uniquely placed upon the older women, not on Titus or the elders of the church. The specific instruction is supposed to pass from woman to woman. And it is the younger women who benefit from the sound doctrine lived out in the lives of these older ladies who teach. Now that brings us to verse number four. They are to teach what is good at the end of verse three, comma, and so train the young women. Right, and so we come to the third and final component or section for this evening's study, sound doctrine in young women. We've had sound doctrine in older men, sound doctrine in older ladies, and now we come to sound doctrine and younger ladies within the church. And here is the full impact, the benefit of the older women who are sound in the faith, who are grounded in the gospel, who are living lives that, that accord with sound doctrine. Here it is. Okay, Verse number four. And so trained young women to love their husbands and children. The assumption here is marriage. It's not that all young women within the church are married. But this is the assumption. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled or mocked or made a laughingstock. Okay, older women are to train Younger women. It's an interesting word that Paul uses for train. The idea there is um, realign their thinking. Okay, So no doubt on Crete, there were young women who had uh, dreams and aspirations and were being informed by their culture that did not match God's ideal for them. And so Paul says, hey, Titus, inform these older women that it is their responsibility as they live lives that accord with sound doctrine. When opportunities arise to teach these younger women 
to train them, to set their thinking in order, to remind them of the truth. And, and the truth is clearly outlined here for us. It's undeniable. It's timeless. This is non-negotiable. Here are the priorities of biblical womanhood given to us again. We already saw these in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15. Now we find them again here in verses 4 and 5. They're to train young women, number one, to love their husbands and children. As always, the biblical picture of love is centered around Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of love, selfless, serving love. This is to be the character trait of husbands in Ephesians 5. They are to love their wives. And it is also a character trait of wives who love their husbands and love their children. This is to be a character trait of fathers who love their children enough to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and Here it is a character trait of moms who love their children. That is selflessly sacrifice for the sake of their homes, of their families. This is found in Proverbs 31, the great picture of a biblical lady. Proverbs 31 outlines such love and selfless sacrifice for the sake of family. Furthermore, The young ladies are to be trained up by the older ones to live lives that are self-controlled. We're back to the same issue as the older men. Self-control must be a theme. And and it really is. And I kind of went back and forth about whether to steal the thunder. But we've got to read verses 11 and 12. Because really, that helps us understand why Paul is so focused on self-control. Verse 11, which we'll study in just a few weeks, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us... To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So in other words, grace teaches us to be self-controlled. Why? What's the picture? The picture is, apart from grace, we live without control. We live by our passions. We live by our desires. We live by the promptings of our flesh. When we're hungry, we eat. When we... Uh, want something, we take it. When we can't have it, we covet it. Uh, we, just, we just run that way. That's Ephesians 2's description of our lives. We just kind of walk along and we have no control. There's no controlling element. When grace comes to bear on us in Christ, grace produces this kind of self-controlled living. That is, we don't live anymore simply to um, go along with whatever our feelings are. Rather, we now live a self controlled life and this is training that is an ongoing process that young ladies need to see from older women and need to be talked about with older women so that their mind is brought back to an understanding of what god says accords with sound doctrine they're to be self-controlled and pure and really we could put an and or you could put a little connector line if you wanted to mark your bible because those two terms go together and the idea here is really chaste and pure this is self-controlled and and devoted and chastity is the idea here committed to the husband and children that they love exclusively committed this is the training that older ladies can accomplish on behalf of the younger goes on and he puts three more characteristics and i believe these are all connected together as well in paul's thinking working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands here we find the priorities of the young women must be and need to be trained by the older women to be 
workers at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. I believe all three of those circle around the home. They are to be working at home. That is, busy about the home. That's the idea here. Um, They are to be kind towards their loved ones in the home. And they are to be submissive within their biblical role. Ephesians chapter 5. They are to be biblically submissive to their own husbands. Not to somebody else's husband. So their first priority is their own husband. Their first priority is their own home. Okay? Now let me just take a moment to help guard us from extremes on this. Because this really is the place of conflict for the question of ladies and Wives working outside of the home. Okay, so some would say, well, it says working at home. That means that there is no place for women in the workplace. There is no place for women outside of their home. And that is really all that they're to be doing. So basically, if you're not married yet, you stay in the home and work within your parents home. And then when you're married, you go into your husband's home. I think that may be overstating Paul's point. Paul's point is the character qualities that match sound doctrine are prioritized by these these clear distinctions in Scripture. And the clear priority of biblical womanhood is the home. And the clear character trait of that home is kindness. And the clear head of that home is her husband. Those are the priorities that guard and are the guardrails to biblical womanhood. I'll tell you why I think that it may be overstating to say that no woman should be in the workplace because Proverbs 31 happens to be in our Bibles. And if you haven't read that recently, that's a lady who is industrious and who is an entrepreneur. She runs her own business. She buys and sells. She goes to the marketplace. She's at the flea market running her booth. Okay, whatever they called them, swap meets, Israeli swap meets, right? She's there. She's running a business for the sake of her home because she's busy about her home for the care of her family. So don't overstate the case. Take this with an understanding, with the full context of Scripture. The clear priority must be the home. Now, that being said, if there are ladies who are working outside the home to the neglect of their home, then it's clear what they must do. They must align their priorities with Scripture. That may mean ceasing the work outside of the home until the right priority is placed on the home. Okay, Balance is always our desire when we come to Scripture and its application. Hope that's helpful. If that has totally confused or angered you, I fearfully say I'll talk to you afterward about that. Okay? Yes? Yeah, please. Carry on. I can't feel my fingers anyway, so... Um. Okay, let's look at one other passage that speaks to this same issue. Let's go back to 1 Timothy, and let me just... (laughs) You didn't need to ask me that. Um, You need a hall pass next time you want to go? This isn't school. We're at a school, but... All right, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Notice the description here of ladies, biblical womanhood, back on display. Just a couple pages back. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and really begins in verse 8. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 
For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And we studied this several, several months ago now. You can still find that online if you like or get a CD from us if you like. The point here is the same as Titus in its context because Paul is concerned about ladies within the church. Ladies are to have a certain set of character qualities, a certain set of internal priorities, and they are to have a lifestyle that mirrors those qualities and priorities. And older ladies, it is on you to establish that pattern and to teach younger women what it looks like to live in a lifestyle that is in accord with or matches doctrine. Okay? This is the expectation that Paul gives us in Titus chapter 2. The goal of such biblical womanhood is found at the end of verse 5. So that, here's the purpose, so that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, so that your lifestyle, young ladies and older ladies and older men, so that your lifestyle would in no way bring reproach upon the perfect word of God. They would not be mocked by outsiders. That you would not become the cause for mocking the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goal of biblical womanhood is that the word of God is defended and believed. Therefore, it is not mocked or reviled by those who are not a part of the local assemblies. Okay. These are the first three of five categories that Paul addresses within the church. And these are critical for us because of verse one. But as for you, contrast to the false teachers. Now back to Titus, the true teacher. But as for you, inform them, speak to them. Teach them what accords with sound doctrine. In other words, life and doctrine must go hand in hand and do go hand in hand. So let's set our lives in order with the gospel of grace outlined for us in our scriptures. Okay, here are a couple thoughts for conclusion. Good doctrine goes with good behavior. That may seem like it doesn't need to be stated, but good doctrine goes with good behavior and the contra is also true. Bad doctrine is accompanied by bad behavior. That was verses 10 through 16 of chapter 1. Okay. The internal always affects the external. The mouth speaks from the heart. We say what we say and we do what we do because we think what we think. And we think what we think because we believe what we believe about God, about ourselves, and about his word. Doctrine always affects action. If there are holes in our living, whether you're here tonight and you're an older man or a younger man, you feel like, hey, younger guys, we just got off the hook. Don't worry, next week's coming. And uh, you can't skip. We'll know you skipped. We'll know why you skipped. All right, older men, older ladies or younger ladies, if there are holes in your lifestyle, if there are gaping wounds in this list in your life, Know that there is a clear pattern developed for you that if you will ground yourself in the theology, the doctrine, the instruction of the word of God, it will produce. God will produce by his spirit's work through his gracious work. He will produce the fruits seen here in these texts for us. Our submission to the sound words of scripture will result in transformation lives that match sound doctrine. Okay, and the contrast here with the false teachers is quite clear. Now, my prayer is that our church would continue to develop in these aspects. These are why we have secondary ministries 
for men and for women coming in 2009. That's part of our discussion for next Sunday morning. This is why we're concerned that women have opportunity to, to discuss and think together with other women, older with younger. This is critical. Older men need to be informing and speaking with and thinking with younger men. I mean, this is a part of life so that we can see what the faith looks like as it is lived out. So my prayer is that God will establish a healthy body here of all groups living within their role, within their biblical mandates, so that he might receive the glory and the word of God may not be reviled. That's our ultimate desire, so that he receives glory and honor.